The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Today we begin a brand new series called Lights, Camera, Action, the making of a movement and or making the making of the movement. And this is going to be talking all throughout the book of Acts about the early church and about what the church was known for and how the Holy Spirit moved in and among the early believers after Christ ascended into heaven. And so we're going to be on this series for a while dealing with primarily the active uh, work of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit guides and directs and convicts and comforts, how the power of the Spirit works in our lives, all to encourage us that 2,000 years ago, or more than that now, there was a movement that happened that God began to move in the hearts of people, and Christianity began to spread not only across Europe, but eventually to the U.S., and that movement continues today as we sit here today. Can I hear an amen? And so it's pretty exciting. I'm really excited about this series, especially because it's going to be a, a powerful time for us to learn about the Holy Spirit in our lives, how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, what He does for us and through us, and how He moves in our lives. And so I'm really encouraged by this series that we're starting um, from now until Easter weekend. How many of you, by the raise of hands, you've seen the movie The Incredibles? Go and just raise your hand for me. You've seen The Incredibles. All right, awesome. All right, how many of you have seen The Incredibles 2? Okay, awesome. All right, the sequel. Okay, now if you were at camp, this is going to be a little bit of a repeat for you here because I'm going to use the same story I used at camp. But in the movie The Incredibles, the first one, we meet, obviously, Mr. Incredible. And there's different people in the family. We have Elastigirl. We have Violet. We have Dash, and obviously we have Jack-Jack. Well, in the first Incredibles, we realize that there's powers that these individuals have and this family has. They're superheroes, and they have superpowers. Um, For example, Mr. Incredible, he possesses the powers of enhanced strength and durability, as well as enhanced senses, okay? We have Elastigirl. She can stretch any part of her body to great lengths, and mold it into several shapes and sizes. We have Violet. Okay, Violet, she has this ability to turn herself invisible and create a protective force field of varying size around herself and or others. We have Dash. His superhero power is the ability to run super fast. He's also able to run on water as a consequence of this, and as well as other physics-bending maneuvers such as running up buildings. But last but not least, we have Jack-Jack, okay? Sweet Jack-Jack, all right? Now, by the raise of hands, how many of you, you are the baby in your family? Come on, put them up. Yes, the baby in your family. Here's the truth, okay? Your parents love you the most, okay? It's just the reality, all right? You are the favorite, okay? So Jack-Jack, in all the older siblings are like, I hate you, I still hate you. Um, So, Jack-Jack, man, he's a funny kid. So Jack-Jack, in the first movie, we just learn that he's just a baby, and we don't think he has any powers, and it kind of saddens us that he may not have any powers, although his parents and his siblings do. Well, in the second movie, in the sequel, we realize that Jack-Jack isn't as innocent as we may think. In fact, Jack-Jack has a total 
of 17 superhero powers. He actually has more powers than all of his siblings and parents combined. He's actually the strongest and most powerful, but he acts like a typical baby. He laughs and giggles a lot, but cries whenever he is disturbed. Like many infants, Jack-Jack's emotions are unpredictable, and since his powers are stimulated by them, being with Jack-Jack when the baby uses his powers becomes very difficult when attempting to pacify or restrain him. For instance, Jack-Jack loves Mozart music to the point where he is stimulated by it. He also becomes enraged if he is given a cookie and not allowed more, kind of like me. Um, One of the few things that can calm him down is his mother and the rest of his family. But I don't need to tell you, let's meet Jack-Jack on the screen, all 17 powers combined. Let's hit the lights and we'll play this video. And there is Jack-Jack, 17 powers in all. And the point is, although he is the youngest and at times maybe the most forgotten in his family, he has stuff inside of him that gets unleashed in the sequel. And the point is that there is more inside of us and inside of you that you could ever imagine. In fact, there is more inside of you than maybe what's been told to you or about you. You are way more capable, more gifted, more talented, and have more power in you than you could ever even understand. Why? Because the Bible clearly teaches that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, come on somebody, lives inside of you and lives inside of me. Everyone say with me, I got the power. Oh man, you guys just aren't ready for it yet today. Come on, say with me, I got the power. You got the power. You have the power of the Holy Spirit as we open up This series, I want to talk with you about the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about what it is, how to get it, and what is its purpose. Before I do that, though, I want to lay the groundwork of this series and give some background to the book of Acts and and primarily to the books of Luke-Acts. We kind of treat them as, as one book, even though sometimes we speak of them in two different ways. But let me lay the, the groundwork for you here. Jesus has spent about three years of ministry roughly with the disciples. He's now suffered, died, and rose again. And he's appeared to the disciples and to the crowd, to close to 500 people. And now this is the moment of the early church movement. And it's going to be marked by one thing. All throughout the movement of the early church, it is marked by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is marked by the Spirit of God doing something in the life of a person or a crowd or a group and causing this movement to spark a revolution. And this is what continues to be the very thing that causes you and I to be able to pull off living like Christ and being a witness for Jesus. The theme of Acts is that believers are empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ among both Jews and Gentiles. And in doing this, they established the church. In addition to this, Acts explains how Christianity, although it is new, 
is in reality the one true religion rooted in God's promises from the beginning of time. In the ancient world, it is important that a religion be shown to have stood the test of time. Thus, Luke presents the church as the fulfillment and the extension of God's promises. Some of the literary features of the book of Acts, as we jump to Acts 1 here in just a moment, some literary features. It is the only New Testament book that tells about the ministry of the apostles, hence its traditional name, the Acts of the Apostles. It deals primarily with two of them, Peter and Paul. Often Luke shows how events in their ministries parallel each other and the ministry of Jesus as well. Among the unique features of Acts are the frequent summaries, whereas Luke provides a broad generalization about the life of the church at a particular time or place, such as the common life after Pentecost, the early Christian sharing of goods, and the apostolic miracles. The most distinctive features in Acts is the speeches or the sermons. Constituting nearly a third of the total text of Acts, ten of these are major, Three by Peter, one by Stephen, and six by Paul. Three of Paul's are defense speeches in Jerusalem and Caesarea. The other three consist of one speech on each of Paul's missionary journeys, each to a different type of assembly, to the Jews on his first journey, to the Gentiles on his second, and to Christians on his third. And let's pick it up in Acts 1, verse 1. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying, when he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, Promise of the Father, excuse me, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive, everyone say with me, power. Come on, say with me, power. power. Everyone say with me, I got the power. Wow. All right, awesome. Man, some of you can get up there. That's amazing. But you will receive power, this dunamis power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray for God's word today. Lord, today, we thank you, God, that we move, that we speak that we're alive and empowered today by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you today that you're filling each and every person here once again. We thank you, God, for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. God, we thank you, Lord God, that the Spirit of God is living inside of us, drawing us close to you, making us more like you. And we thank you today, God, that the movement of your church stands, God, on the work of Jesus Christ, but the movement of your church continues today. It cannot be stopped. It will never be stopped until your return. And we thank you, God, for your spirit. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. In this first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all Jesus began to do and teach. This is Acts 1.1 again. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke acts One book, this is part two, this is Luke giving strong evidence to the fact that Jesus not only died but rose again and appeared to over 500 people and has now ascended to heaven. He wrote both books, Luke and Acts, Luke Acts, to this person named Theophilus. This is either an actual person or a symbolic name for any Christian seeker or convert. In verse 3, Luke says that Jesus appeared multiple times to his disciples and gave them many proofs for 40 days. Again, this is evidence, eyewitness account, that this story is not some made-up thing. This really did happen. See, some want to make an argument that Jesus never rose again, or that Jesus died and stayed in a tomb, but he actually never rose again, or he never appeared to people, or the movement somehow stopped once he died, and that was the end of it. or that the disciples gave up and fled and never did anything with the message of Christ. But contrary to those opinions, Luke, an eyewitness account, took very good detail. He was a doctor, very good at keeping eyewitness detailed account, which is why his gospel is the longest of all of them. His eyewitnesses account tells us that after Jesus died a horrific death, after he then rose again after three days, he appeared, and he actually gives us the number in this, in this section, he appeared to 40 different people before ascending to heaven. This is evidence that what Jesus did on that Easter weekend is a real, true story in history, and it means something for the believer today. It's where we base our Christianity. It's where we base our faith. It's where the grounds of which we have proof in Scripture that what Jesus did, he actually did. What he said, he actually did. And he continues to move through his church today. So this is incredible eyewitness account of Jesus appearing to them, exactly 40 of them here, saying, hey, Remember when I said that the temple would die and and, and be rebuilt in three days? That was me. Remember I said, look at my hands, feel the the wounds of my my hands. Look at the, the wounds in my feet. This is a real true account. This is Jesus in the flesh. I have conquered death, sin, and the grave. Verse four through five, it says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Namely, this great empowerment from God that has been promised, it is about to happen at Pentecost. Throughout Acts, baptism and the gift of the Spirit are closely related. Repentance, forgiveness, Water baptism and the reception of the Spirit comprise the basic pattern of conversion. What does that mean? Meaning that somebody first puts their life in Jesus Christ by repenting, by recognizing that I have sinned and I have done wrong and it's my sins that have put Jesus on a cross. Not Not my parents' sins, 
Not the neighborhood kids' sins, but it's my wrongs, my faults, my failures. And today I repent before you, God, and recognize that it's my sin that has put you on the cross. That you died in my place for my sins as the mediator between me and God the Father. Repentance. It's then offering God forgiveness. God offering you and I forgiveness. That we can be forgiven, washed clean, made right, in God's eyes because of the work of Jesus as our mediator. From there, we encourage people to get water baptized. That's coming up here at the Grove Church Snohomish. How? Yet to be determined, but it's coming up. It's gonna be awesome. We don't know how it's gonna work, but it's gonna work. We're gonna figure out a way. And we're gonna baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because what happens is the first step for a Christ follower, when they put their faith in Christ, they repent, they're forgiven, they go public. They repent, they're forgiven, and they let their church family know, they let their immediate family know, they let their neighbors, their friends, their coworkers know that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it has the power of God to save first the Jew and then me, the Gentile. So water baptism, immersion in water, death to life, leaving all the old in the water, coming up new in Jesus. It's there at that point through baptism and through identifying yourself as a Christ follower, that the spirit of God and the power of God comes upon the believer. It says in Acts 1, 6 through 7, the disciples say, will this be the time that you restore the kingdom to Israel? So you have to remember that Jesus, when he came, they were expecting for him to rule as a conquering king. They thought that he would come and rule as a, as a military king like the prophets of, of old and the way that Jesus and God would work in the Old Testament. So they had this expectation that Jesus would come and overthrow the Roman Empire and rule and become king with the sword and to divide and conquer with the sword and with military action. But in fact, Jesus came from humble conditions, as a suffering servant, as a lamb to the slaughter, and he was not like anything they were expecting. But this is still in their thought process. They're still wondering to themselves, will this finally now be the time that you restore the kingdom of Israel? Will this finally be the time now that you overthrow all this rule and actually become Lord and King of our land in the way that we always imagined? Will this finally be the time, now that you've suffered and died and conquered death, sin, and the grave, would you, are you now going to rule as this conquering king? Jesus says, it's not for you to know the time of when that happens. That's his answer. Not only was I not the kind of king that you thought I was going to be, not only did I not meet your expectations in the way that you had thought I'd meet them, but you'll never know the time of when I fully restore Israel. And then we get to this most famous passage of scripture. He answers them with Acts 1.8. The thematic verse of the entire book of Acts hinges on Acts 1.8. Will you restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this now the time for us to grab our swords and to work with violence and begin to take this kingdom by force? 
Is this now the time for us to get the mob and get the crowd and get crazy and, and get violent and go after the Romans and conquer like you always said you were? Or we thought at least that's what you were saying when you would talk in the way that you would talk? Jesus' answer to all of those questions in the back of their mind was this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So you got to put that in context for a minute, what they were thinking. So I'm going to get my soul, I'm going to get my, I'm going to get, no, no, no. You're going to receive a spiritual power. You're, you're going to receive a power to be my witness. This Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Meaning, I'm not asking you to get violent. This kingdom and power of the Holy Spirit that you're going to be unleashed on in just a moment here at Pentecost, this power of my spirit, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you in such a powerful way that it's going to be more stronger and more incredible than any sword or fist or club could do. In fact, this kingdom that I've been trying to establish and trying to teach you is not a kingdom of violence. It's not a kingdom of pride. It's not a kingdom of envy or malice. It's a kingdom that's going to be built on compassion and love and grace and mercy. And that power is going to continue to be a movement that is displayed every single day, generation after generation, movement after movement of his church being known by these things. This love, this compassion, this loving of our enemies, this, if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn your other face and strike them, let them strike your neck. If they ask for your coat, take your, you know, whatever, tunic too, all of that. This kingdom of love and power and compassion is going to be built on the receiving of the power of this Holy Spirit. Question becomes, well, why do I need the power of the Holy Spirit to love? Well, it's easy, because you and I are prone to hate. See, you, you and I are prone not to love. You and I are prone to think of ourselves rather than someone ahead of us. You and I are prone to want to do what we want to do. You and I are prone to not want to be a witness, to not want to operate in God's love. And Jesus knew this. See, they had Jesus modeling to them all throughout the three years of ministry what love looked like. But now Jesus is about to say sayonara, peace out. And he knew that then and now, that they would need something, they would need someone, they would need an inner power if they were going to pull off the movement that he came to establish. In one gospel in John, it says, When I leave you, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send you the Holy Spirit who will empower you. Jesus very much knew that if we were going to live like him after he left earth, and ascended into heaven, if we were going to live like him, there was no way we could do it on our own. No way we could pull it off. Couldn't do it in our own strength. We needed this power. Come on, say with me. I got the power. 
Come on, say it with me. I got the power. Man, so good. Let me answer three specific questions about the power of the Holy Spirit. What, it, what is the power? What does it do? How can I get it? Number one, what is the power of the Holy Spirit? It is the promise from Jesus at his ascension that he would not leave us as orphan, but would send us the Holy Spirit. What is the power of the Holy Spirit? It is God's presence active in the life of a believer. What is the power, this dunamis power, dynamite power? It is the Godhead, God's Spirit, strengthening our lives to do his mission in the world. That's what it is. It is the, it is the presence of God in filling in the life of the believer to pull off living like Jesus Christ. That's what this power is. Secondly, what does it do? It is the power to be a witness for Christ, meaning the empowering of the Holy Spirit is what gives you and I the ability to live and love like Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit helps with effective proclamation of the gospel. It gives us power for victory over sin. It gives us power for victory over Satan and demonic forces. The power of the Holy Spirit leads to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is used for the gifts of the ministry of the church, both in and outside of it. The power of the Holy Spirit leads to the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which makes us more and more like Christ. What does it do? It helps us accomplish the mission of God in our lives. It helps us love our spouses as Christ loves the church. It empowers us to have a heart for worthy to be found people. It empowers us to be great fathers, mothers, neighbors, and friends. This Holy Spirit, this power, gives you and I the ability to love people the way Jesus loves people to see people the way Jesus sees people, to have compassion the way Jesus has compassion. When I don't operate in the Holy Spirit's power in my life, you know what I'm quick to do in my flesh? I'm quick to write people off. I'm quick to judge them. I'm quick to, I'm quick to think that I'm better than them. I'm quick to belittle them. And I'm quick to think only about myself. But when I live by the Spirit's power, I have more compassion in my heart for them. I don't believe they're lost people anymore. I believe they're worthy to be found people. I see the good in them. I see the good in my community. I see the good in my workplace. And I can operate out of love for others that are far from Jesus. My heart can be moved to brokenness and prayer and to my knees versus criticizing and judging and becoming a person of critique. You see, when I don't operate in this power, I fight with my spouse, I don't serve my kids, I'm selfish, I'm irritable, and I tend to not want to be around. But when I'm operating in the spirit of God in my life and his power is in me, I can serve my family. I can be an incredible father and husband. 
I can love my neighbors as myself. I can love God with all of my heart. And I can do all of this, not because of how amazing I am, but because the spirit of God living inside of me, working in my life. You you catching what, what this power is? It is not a power of strength. It is not a physical position. It is not a, it's not a physical, how much can you bench or lift? This is not the kind of power we're talking about here. It's not a power that manipulates or gets people to do things you want. It's not a power that's abused. It is a joyful, beautiful, genuine strength that God gives us as a gift when we accept him as Lord and Savior. Primarily though, if you're wondering what this power primarily does in the book of Acts, and we're gonna see it over and over through this series, it is the power to be a witness for Jesus. It is the power to recognize I have been saved and now I need to go out and live a life that helps others see Jesus through me. That's what this is. It means my life, 24 hours, seven days a week, my life now stands as a witness and a model to what Jesus has done in my life. And I'm telling you right now, to be a true witness in the world we live in today, the only way you can pull it off and I can pull it off is with the power of the Spirit in our lives because we need it so bad. That is what the primary purpose of the power of the Spirit is. Lastly, how can I get it? You receive the Holy Spirit at salvation and you can continue to receive feelings of God's power in your life, which we will see all throughout Acts. Meaning there's times where you wake up on a Monday for the work week and like, okay, God, I know you've called me to be a witness, but I'm not feeling like I want to be a witness today. Lord, I need your power today. I need to be filled with your spirit once again. I can't do this in my own strength. God, thank you. When I'm weak, you are strong. God, thank you. That's not about my words or my thoughts or my actions, but it's your words and your thoughts and your actions and help them to be seen today. Fill me once again today. So you can request God's spirit's power in your life every day. You can ask for his empowerment and his spirit to move in your life in a new way every single week. It's not just limited to one thing. There's plenty of refills of God's presence in our lives. The beginning stages and movement of the early church was built on the power of the Holy Spirit and it continues to be built on it today. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, 2 through 5, I want you to catch this, the power of these words here. It says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I think these might be the wrong verses, so you can just black that out. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not 
implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, you know, it wasn't the eloquent words that I had when I spoke to you or when I wrote the letters. I didn't have all these fancy things to say to you. It wasn't this amazing wisdom that was just like awestrucking. What it was, was a demonstration of God's power in my life and through my life. I want to encourage you today. You may sit here and go, man, I love this message. This was so good. Wow, you're just an amazing speaker. Nope. God's power working through my life. Wow, you talk about how much you serve your family and you just seem like an amazing dad. I want to, I just, wow, how do, how do you pull it off? By the power of God's spirit. Wow, you seem to be an effective witness in your neighborhood and in the places that you go. How do you do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. You seem to be so joyful and contagious and friendly. How do you do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I, are called to be a strong witness for Jesus Christ. And let me just encourage you one more time. You don't know what's inside of you. You don't realize how powerful you really are. You may feel like you're forgotten or the youngest in your family. I wanna encourage you today, you don't realize how powerful you really are. And when the Spirit of God comes upon a believer, I'm telling you, look out because God is gonna do something through that person and through that family. Let me pray for you today. God, I thank you so much that your word reminds us once again today that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. And I thank you today, God, that the movement of your church is unstoppable. It is unshakable. It is immovable. And there's nothing that can stop the kingdom of your love and your grace moving forward. And I thank you, Jesus, that we have the power of God in our lives. I thank you, Jesus, that we were not left alone. That when Jesus ascended to heaven, God, your spirit came upon Pentecost and baptized and transformed the early church. And I pray you would do it again today. You may be here today and you go, you know, I don't feel, I don't feel real strong today. I feel, I feel real weak. I feel like the power of God's spirit in my life is very low. If it's a gas tank, I'm, 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 I'm leaning towards E here and I wanna be filled again with the power of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, I'm just gonna ask you to slip up your hand. I'd love to pray for you. Anyone else with these hands that are up? You say, man, I wanna be filled once again with your spirit. Let me pray for you today. God, I thank you so much for the hands that are lifted up. God, you would fill them once again with your spirit. You would make them strong in you. They would recognize, God, that they can be filled once again right now with your power. So do it, God, right now. Fill them again. Fill them with your presence. Fill them with your love. 
Fill them with your grace. Fill them with your hope, Jesus. And we thank you, God, that you're doing it once again in their hearts right now. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.